You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review, powered by Blaze Media. This is your sick host, Daniel Horowitz, in the house today. Uh, Really, I'd love to take off today just feeling under the weather. And for once, I probably can't blame it so much on the kids. I think I just caught it on my own from the weather. Uh, But my throat is killing me. Wanted to have a a guest host today, at least to join me. (laughs) So maybe we'll, we'll cut it short. But a lot to talk about, and I just couldn't peel myself away because I'm also feeling sick inside of me. As you all know from the last couple of episodes... I'm very disturbed by the thought process, the modus operandi, the focus, the intellect or lack thereof of the so-called conservative media, not just the Republican Party. There is no smart, effective, visionary voice on the right that is giving our version of governance in a way that stands on its own veracity. Everyone's kind of reactionary. Well, I don't like him, so I'm going to go in the other direction. I'm going to respond to him. You know, he drinks tea, so I'm going to bash tea. He loves coffee, so I'll bash coffee. You know, we don't don't stand for our own views in a vacuum. And it creates a lot of false dichotomies. So you'll have people that are just too weak in responding to the media, too weak on policy, You'll have other people that just go the other way and they start getting in with the wrong crowd, saying the wrong things, palling around with the wrong people. And meanwhile, a lot of the people who complain about Group B are the ones that are part of Group A that serve as the rubber band effect to Group B. Because absent an effective movement, you're going to have splintering of all sorts of uh, people with all sorts of problems. Today, I want to talk about identity politics, race. I'm going to talk about what I don't want to talk about. Because obviously, as conservatives, we don't like talking about it because there really is never a place where it should come up. Race, by definition, means skin pigmentation. So by definition, it's nonsensical as a matter of public policy because everyone's equal under the law. And it should never come to play. The problem is everything the left has done in this country, they ensconce in it a political bomb built on race. And they've embedded it in our culture, but not just our culture, but our policies, law, and the courts. They've embedded it in obviously every area of media. Everything is race, not common sense, not what's good for the country as a whole. Everything boils down to race, if you think about it. Everything they do on some of the most important issues that affect the entire country are all racial. 
So then it forces us in a, in a funny position because then we have to start talking about it when we don't want to talk about it because we shouldn't talk about it because there's nothing to talk about in, in, in a sane world where we would actually have equal opportunity but not mandated equal outcomes. But this cancer of racial politics, racial supremacism, has been allowed to spread. And for so many years, it has successfully used the very notorious era in America where we were racist in the other direction, didn't treat individuals who had you know black pigmentation in their skin as the same individuals creating the image of God as, as everyone else. And therefore, even when we rectified that, a group of very insidious politicos used that stain of our history and reputation to basically drive the, the remainder of our politics even after that was rectified and essentially create a scenario where whatever we did back then we now just flip on its head, take the racial pyramid and flip it on its head, and everything is geared towards what's good for this racial group, or this racial group is this, and this racial group is that, and this identity group is this. And, it, and, and it's all driven by political correctness and driven by identity politics, and good public policy goes out the window. It's not, it's not necessarily just race. It's, it's a certain identity of what is considered, the media defines what's moral and virtuous, not the Bible or the Constitution. You know, just, just to start off, I didn't mean to talk about this, but I'm seeing this as I'm recording today. And by the way, it is Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. So I'm just seeing now, Chuck Grassley made a comment because keep in mind, he is now Senate Finance Chairman. He's no longer Judiciary Chairman. That's uh, chaired by the lovely Lindsey Graham. But Grassley said that the White House better have something ready for two, 42 million people that might not get food stamps after March 1st. He said food shortages and hungry people have led to political unrest in other countries. So... You know, Chuck Grassley seems to think that there is a right to food stamps, and that is the most important thing, but not a right to border security, which is in the Constitution Article 4, Section 4. Why? Because it's very simple. Protecting the whole of the union is not a sensitive identity, whereas food stamps is. It's the poor people, so to speak. So that's not even racial, but you see what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting at. Everything is driven by there, – there's groups of people that are – um, it's it's kosher to care about. And then there's groups of people that it's not kosher to care about. And when I mean by those groups of people, I mean the whole of the union. No special interest, just all of us, the security, the sovereignty, the civil society of all of us. That is what government is for, certainly at a federal level um, with security, but they don't care. It's all identity. It's It's a socioeconomic identity. It's racial identity. That is the society we live in today. And for too long, the so-called right, which has failed on everything else, as I talked about in last podcast, they failed on 
the whole war with the judiciary and judicial supremacism. And there's so much more on that. Hopefully, we'll get to today with courts just on a rampage, courts implementing stuff that it would have taken 100 years for a legislature to implement. They implement overnight without any blowback, without anyone challenging them, without anyone challenging the validity of what they're doing, including the conservative media. Because as much as they say they oppose the left, that's part of the problem. All they do is oppose the left. They don't have their own affirmative vision. As such, what winds up happening is they become more like the left than they realize. So the left is so into racial politics that they get involved in it too while denying they're involved in it and claiming they're fighting it, but they're really like, yeah, yeah, we're not racist. We're, see, we're good conservatives. You know, so now you have, you know, Republicans and even some conservative elected officials, non-elected officials, people in the media, outside groups, always touting, oh, this is the first black this, this is the first green this, this is the first Hispanic this, this is the first guy appointed. And it's like, really, since when did we talk like that? But, you know, they, they feel so beaten down by the media after so many years, so they have the need to kind of play the game. No, 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 we're, we're good. Look at me. Look at me. I'm virtuous. I love your protected classes. I want to talk to you today about a point that I think is not brought out enough before we get, get to our main point, why I'm talking about this today. Not only is racial politics, but and certainly codified in actual law and policy outcomes, affirmative action, stuff we do with immigration, things that tie into religious liberty. But let, let's just talk about race now, more than you know, other things like the homosexual agenda and thing, other other protected classes in the in the minds of the left. Aside from it being unjust to tilt the playing field towards any one group, aside from having you know economic problems, security problems when you start basing public policy off of you know political correct notions of identity rather than good public policy. Classic example, as we always talk about with crime, if you're so worried about, oh, certain people being incarcerated, you're hurting everyone. And again, and again ironically, that very group of people, because you know, mo- you know, while blacks commit an overwhelming amount of violent crime per capita, still the overwhelming number of blacks in this country are peaceful, law-abiding citizens so by not locking up the criminals who happen to be black, you're actually hurting them most because that's usually where they're going to live. But there's, there's a step further I want to take this today. And that is when you go and you mollycoddle one group of people to an extent that you super obsessively praise anyone who happens to be from their ilk that does something laudatory well beyond the proportion of what you would have done for another group. Or conversely, when someone does something bad from that group and you refuse to cover it or speak out because you're scared, well, they're a part of that group, but you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't be scared to speak out if they were, you know, happened to be of a different identity. Or or in another way, to put this another way, if someone would say things that are viewed as somewhat might be taken insensitive to to that particular group, you go like a hyena, like a chicken without a head, and go like a nutcase and obsess like it's like, like it's nuclear warfare. While, you know, when twenty other people from that identity group would say things insensitive about the other identity group, 
you're kind of silent or weak on it. I want to say that that is racism. That in itself is racism, and it's something I never understood. As long as I live, I will never understand that. Maybe it's because I'm in my 30s and not in my 70s and 80s and never saw the era of Jim Crow. But I can't relate to this. This obsession. Ooh, that guy's black. We got to be careful. We got to, ooh, we got to be careful. Ooh, oh, did he just, uh, I, I condemn. Oh, I'm a, I'm a good person. I love blacks. I, I find that mentality and it's not just on the left, it's even more obnoxious on the phony National Review right and all the similar people to them. I find that more offensive than anything. I, I got three kids. And, you know, so one of the things you learn when you deal with kids, well, you deal with kids differently than you deal with adults. I have a four-year-old, and, you know, when he colors a picture and colors outside the lines and just some glop of colors, you say, Wow, Zach, what a beautiful picture. You work so hard on it. And that's appropriate to say to a four-year-old. But if you were to say that to an adult, that would be extremely insulting. Right? You know, when you mollycoddle, you mollycoddle a four-year-old, right? I have to explain this to my to my eight-year-old a lot. That, you know, hey, Zach is, is different. You have more responsibility than him. You have more privileges. You know, we're not going to punish him the same way we punish you. His brain is not as big as yours. So I say, hey, you know, Ezra is my oldest. Say, hey, Ezra, you know, you understand just like Zach is physically smaller than you. He's still growing. You're still growing, but he's smaller. So to his brain is smaller and it's still growing. And you have to, we, we, we do treat him differently. You praise him more profusely for things that would be nothing burgers for an older kid to do. And you go a little easier on him in terms of discipline when he does naughty things relative to if a 10-year-old would do the same thing a four-year-old and certainly an adult. Right? It's common, common sense. Folks, that is how our body politic, our culture, including phony conservatives in this country, treat blacks and other similar identity groups that are considered protected by the left. To me, that is the ultimate form of racism. When, and now, obviously, by now, if you haven't figured out why I'm saying this, we'll talk about the Steve King thing. I wasn't planning on commenting on it because I had better things to do than deal with every inartful, stupid comment that he's you know, been making and distract from the important policy issues. Look, if you cover the soap opera every day, so then, yeah, you're going to cover this. But to me, you know, I don't cover soap operas. Very little of it, unless it's a very important lesson to learn. So look, I got better things to do. But this is becoming part of literally a legislative agenda. As of now, they haven't voted on it, but there's literally a resolution that they're going to vote on the House floor. It's, I don't think it's going to be formal censure of Steve King, but a quasi-censure of him. Well, that, that, That's a pretty big deal. That's pretty unprecedented. That doesn't happen very often. And... You know, before anything else, if you have 10 black representatives that say blatant racist things and associate with the worst hateful people, and you don't say anything, and then you have one guy who's white and is a Republican 
that never said any hateful things or associated with like really hateful people, but just says stupid things like oh, Western civilization, this and the changing of terms and this. And you obsessively disproportionately strip him of his committee assignments, which they just did, and then just go nuts over it. And then the other things you just ignore. It's not just that you're being overly tendentious towards one group of people where you shouldn't recognize any group really in a, in a special way. It's worse than that. You're actually putting down that very group of people. When you feel this, this, the hubris that it is incumbent upon me to guard and be the hull monitor of anyone that any whiff of, of racial animus to our black brethren. I mean, come on. Who appointed you? You know what I'm saying? When you go, go that overly obsessive, there's something wrong with that. Is that really... To tell me, um, you know, normally I hate singling out people because I hate this, never talk like this, but if you happen to be someone with black pigmentation in your skin that the media thinks is a big deal, that you are somehow a different human being than I am in their mind, and that, that is what they're saying. Email me and let me know if you disagree with my point, but my point is that you're putting them down. You should never be different to one group of people more than the other. If your degree of outrage towards comments that you think might be a little bit insensitive towards blacks should be just as measured as your reaction to comments made about whites. Conversely, any degree of success from a, a white person should be just as praised as something from, from a black per- person. Anything different, that is disparity. That is judging people by the color of their skin and not the content of the character. Well, you know, rather than people, you know, tossing accusations at me, let me say this through my own identity. So my religious identity is Jewish. I am Jewish. So, you know, if someone were to say, you know what, Daniel, um, I, uh, I think Jews have been the most persecuted people for so many thousands of years, and I really think we need to be extra careful and put in extra protections and and go extra crazy over anything that's taken to be against Jews versus anyone else. I'll be honest with you. I find that insulting. I, I, I wouldn't I don't want that. Don't treat me more or less. Just treat me like anyone else. I wouldn't want anyone like, let's say someone feels I acted like a jerk today. I wouldn't want anyone saying, man, you know, I'd totally call that guy out, but I'm too scared to do it because, you know, uh, he's Jewish and, you know, maybe given something that just happened recently or whatever, you know, I I don't want to be accused of being an anti-Semite. I don't want that. I don't want to live in a society like that. I want to live in a meritocracy where you're going to praise someone for doing good just as equally irrespective of their race. And you're going to rip someone for being a jerk just as vigorously or not vigorously irrespective of their race. And you see very clearly Republicans and this phony conservative media, they go nuts. They go nuts with this stuff. Any accusation of, oh, you're racist. They claim they're fighting it, but, but it's not true. 
It's so disproportionate. That's what bothers me. It's not about any one person. I'm not here to defend Steve King. You know, the bottom line is he has rendered himself ineffective in being a spokesman for our vision and our beliefs. So I have no need to sit and get saddled with that and whatever. And that's why I've kind of, you know, I haven't spoken to him in a while. And I didn't want to call him now, even though normally I would do such a thing for, before talking about this. I did speak to someone on his staff, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But, you know, I just didn't want to get more sucked into him. Like, whatever, you know. The, and, you, and look, you could say you're making us look bad. You could, you could make that argument. But when you are lynching a guy... Almost like, you know, last time I remember them censuring someone was Charlie Rangel. That was like criminal allegations of fraud, financial crimes. That's, that's criminal activity. So, so before we even get started, I just want to note what I find so offensive about racial politics being elevated to the highest capital offense. Let's say someone is a real racist. Let's just say for, for a minute. Now, I want to make it very clear, but not a race is not, but not in any actionable way. They're not related to any terror group that is acting upon it and murdering people or attempting to murder people. They just happen to come home at night and they mutter to their wife, I hate group of group X or group Y, and I hate them. They're annoying. I find them distasteful. I hate those type of people. Black, white, Hispanic, this ethnicity, that, whatever it is. Okay, so the guy bona fide is straight up. Let's say you were able to catch that in a private conversation on tape. Let, let's just say, clear, no way around it, clearly fine. Okay, so you're a racist. Now, look, you know, I, I don't want people believing like that, and I don't believe like that. But, you know, you have to put things in proportion. Even someone like that, the, the way the left is these days, if you murder someone and dismember their body with an axe, liberals are like, yeah, let's give the guy three years in prison. But if you said a racial epithet while doing it, you get the death penalty. You see what I mean? That's the way their mentality is like. That is the worst capital offense. So that in itself, you know, you want to have a cultural argument that's fine. But in terms of politics, the important, the more important thing is po- discernible policy outcomes. I am more worried that the other side is embedding their racism in law, in policy, in politics, in discernible policy outcomes, and and their racist pal around with terrorists that subvert America. That bothers me more. That is a problem. So even if Steve King legitimately said, what's wrong with being a white supremacist, which he did not say, but let's say he said that, to even compare, much less ignore, Rashid Tablid, the new congresswoman from, from Detroit, that literally pals around, had at her swearing-in ceremony, ate dinner with people tied to Hezbollah. See, my problem with these people is not anti-Semitism. You're going to hear some on the right say, oh, you know, it is anti-Semitism. And look, I'm happy that at least the RNC, which seems to be a little better than the other Republican organizations, especially under Rona um, McDaniel, ironically, Romney's niece, but I think she's been relatively good, you know, for a Republican. They all they're all terrible. She they they at least put out a statement that was like, all right, we'll now censure um all the people that met with Farrakhan. 
All right, like I, that that's at least a start. But it's not an equivalent. Because the the equivalent would be is if Steve King met with David Duke. That would be the equivalent on the other side of the so-called racial spectrum is if he met with David Duke, kissed him, embraced him. Why do I say that? Because in 2005, a group of 21 members, most of them still there, attended an event of Nation of Islam with Louis Farrakhan. So it's not like, like oh, you happened to be... No, no, this was... They met with Louis Farrakhan. Sanford Bishop, he's no longer there. G.K. Butterfield, William Lacey Clay, Emmanuel Cleaver, James Clyburn, the number three Democrat, Elijah Cummings, big chairman, Danny Davis, Al Green, Alcee Hastings, Eddie Bernice Johnson, Sheila Jackson Lee, she's a chairwoman, John Lewis, Gregory Meeks, Gwen Moore, Eleanor Holmes Norton, Norton, she's a delegate from D.C., not a congresswoman. Donald Payne, Bobby Rush. Bobby Rush is the guy who is introducing the Steve King censure. He met with Farrakhan. David Scott, Bobby Scott, Benny Thompson, and Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters, there's a video we'll link to in show notes of her getting embraced by Farrakhan at a 2002 Nation of Islam event. A Nation of Islam event where Farrakhan went on to give a speech with her there defending Palestinian suicide bombers, murdering Jews. So she is the financial services chairwoman. You want to talk about committee assignments. Now, here's my problem. It's not just the hypocrisy of the Democrats. Republicans in the majority won't go after them, won't strip their assignments for palling around with Farrakhan and or the other the Muslim ones palling around with Hezbollah Hamas people. So even a bona fide guy that said, what's wrong with being white supremacist, which obviously would be very repugnant if he said that, even that's not on par with what they're doing and Republicans have never done and never will. They never will. Never will touch it. Why? Soft bigotry of low expectations because, well, they're they're people of color. So, you know, we can't accuse them of being racism. And by doing that itself, we're scared we'll be called racist. No, no, no. But you, 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 uh, you're perceived of saying something mean about non-whites. Oh, boy, are we going to come after you? Tell me, do you disagree? Isn't that sentiment and mentality itself racist? If I, I believe someone who is the same, you know, it's funny. <laughs> Everyone wants to um, blur the differences between men and women when there's major differences, right? That That's where there's a difference. But somehow when it comes to race, everyone wants to obsess about distinct races. I'll never forget, I forget that name of the woman that was white and she made herself black and claimed she was black. And when it was discovered, I found it fascinating, but it's obvious if you understand what we're saying, the media savaged her. And I was saying to myself, wait a minute, like I thought, like what happened here? I I am a white male. 
I have much more in common by a factor of a thousand with a black male than a white female. Okay, because we are the same people other than the skin pigmentation, whereas a white female, your entire genetic makeup, your entire plumbing is different. But yet the media, like literally, blithely assumes they're the same, that they'll point to a guy with a penis and say she with a with a straight face and, and look at you like you're nuts to call that out. But then they made fun out of a, a transracial person. And I, I, said, I never understood that. I mean, if you believe you could switch your gender, you could certainly switch your race. That's just skin pigmentation. We are quite literally the same human beings. But the, but, but the political class, and in a very soft way, the phony conservative political class, and, the, and their virtue signaling doesn't view it that way. I subscribe by, I don't care. I will quite literally treat everyone the same. There's no sacred cows. I'm not going to hold back in a dispar- or respond disproportionately because of a different type of race. That's the issue here. You know, when it comes to, it, it, it's a similar thing with, um, you know, this Ilana, I forget their names, but the one from Congresswoman now from Minneapolis, the one from Detroit. You know, a lot of people are saying they're anti-Semitic. I don't really talk like that. I don't care. I'm a big boy. I, I don't need a, you're anti-Semitic. I mean, to me, that's that's a cultural argument. To me, what's even more important is politically and legally and country-wise is the discernible policy outcomes i have a bigger problem when you are palling around with people that are enemies of the united states of america i don't care about you like jews hate jews if you are part of hamas and hezbollah you are part of a subversion against our country while you are a sitting member of congress that's a problem not every comment that we could glean from an interview See what I'm saying? It's worse than a double standard. It's not just that, oh, they're the equivalent on anti-Semitism as you're accusing Steve King on being a white supremacist. It's that they pal around with people. I mean, to me, that's that that's treason. It's not I'm more bothered by treason than racial politics or identity politics. I care that you're harming our country more than you being a hater. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying that we should care about that even more, but we don't. It's literally like, you know, you could kill someone, just don't call them a name while you're doing it. How did we become so insane? So anyway, here's the backdrop with Steve King. Here's the story. Steve King has a good heart. I, I've known him for quite a while. Um, he wants to do the right thing. Nobody that I know or on his staff believes that in private he's somehow palling around on on uh, these neo-Nazi websites and um, burning crosses or something. You know, he is not, he's just not like that. And, you know, if this helps, and I know, you know, you could easily hate 
blacks, you know, the- theoretically, and not have a problem with Jews. But usually, if you're a white supremacist, I- I've yet to meet one like a David Duke type of guy that loves Jews like Steve King does and loves Israel. So, I mean, I'm not saying like, you know, again, they're separate things, but I'm just saying that in itself, it's 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 pretty rare to find that. Maybe they, I'm sure they exist, but I, I haven't, you know, experienced that. Um, But aside from that, Steve King, his problem is he won't shut up. He needs to stay focused, and instead he's just, you know, again, this has been over a course of a number of months. He's rendered himself irrelevant, and I, I just can't work with a guy like that. But that is different than condemning a man and saying he's a white supremacist and his life needs to be destroyed, disproportionate to anything you've done to people that are palling around with terrorists or at least palling around kissing and embracing Louis Farrakhan that, that literally – I mean you want to talk about – I mean that guy – you want to talk about Hitler. Everyone's Hitler. I mean he literally says Hitler stuff about Jews. Um, literally. I mean, he is he is the ultimate. And and somehow that's not a problem. Well, come on, because they're people of color. Well, isn't that in itself racist? The soft bigotry of low expectations. So the problem with Steve is his staff, my understanding of it, they told him, stop talking to these people. But the more he would talk, the more the media would know, this is awesome. We could set a trap for him because he loves to talk. And he'll just like get involved in their racial politics. Well, you know, there were, you know there's, there's this stuff. We're attacking whites. We're attacking the white male. We're attacking Western civilization. And it used to not be that way. And it shouldn't be that way. And he, like, he goes down their stupid rabbit holes. That's his problem. So this idiot from the New York Times wanted to do that to him. And his staff told them told the guy to pound sand. Somehow the guy got a hold of Steve's number and contacted him directly. Steve went over his staff, didn't record the conversation as his staff would always do, as any good comms director will do for their boss to protect them. And he just goes on and blurts for 56 minutes with a New York Times reporter, thinking that he would give him a fair shake. And it, and. If you know Steve, that's exactly who he is. Like, yeah, you know, he's going to allow me to talk about this. And, oh, geez. Like, I mean, that that's his problem. But, again, that doesn't make an evil person. That just makes a buffoon that really is just not helpful anymore to, to our cause, unfortunately. And I just – I can't, you know, work with a guy like that. But that's different from saying I'm going to burn the guy to the ground more than anyone else. I want you guys to think about something nobody is saying. How do you take a 56-minute interview, publish a few sentences that you juxtapose together, you, have, you, you, would, you say that there's no recording of it, you won't give over your notes of it, but now there's one thing if you want to make a political rhetorical argument against someone, but if you're going to have a quasi-censure vote based on this, let's see what, that, what he actually said. Let's see what this man actually said. Okay, they say that he said basically, hey, uh, you know, since when did that, or I forget the word that, I don't have the quote in front of me, um, but um, I'll just read to you Steve's response here. <laughs> Try and pull it, pull it up here. 
In, in a 56-minute interview, we discussed the changing use of language in political discourse. We discussed the worn-out label racist and my observation that other slanderous labels have been increasingly assigned to conservatives by the left who injected into our current political dialogue such terms as Nazi, fascist, white nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? Why did I sit in classes teaching me about the merits of our history and our civilization just to watch Western civilization become a derogatory term in political discourse today? So he was saying that that was the quote he gave to him. And then he went on to say, clearly, I was only referencing Western civilization classes. No one ever sat in class listening to the merits of white nationalism, white supremacy. So he was saying when I used the word that. It was in reference only to Western civilization. Since when did that become offensive? Not since when did not the previous previously stated evil ideology, all of which I have denounced. Now, again, he was extremely inartful for a number of hours, wouldn't answer it properly, and I can't defend him and won't defend him more than he'll defend himself, and it took him this long. But again, there's a difference between saying a fool and burning a guy to the ground. This makes all the difference because now, while I don't like talking about the way he does and like, and, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, what I don't like about what's happening, but that makes all the difference between, like, did he say, since when did being a white supremacist become offensive? Meaning I'm a white supremacist and what's offensive about that versus saying something that is really, whether you think we should talk that way or whatever, it's in line with what everyone who claims to be a conservative writer says they believe in. How do you have a 56-minute interview? Let, 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 let me, and not have audio, let me explain something to you. I've done a lot of recording recently because I've been doing more reporting than I have usually do. I'm not a reporter. I'm still not a reporter. I'm not going to call myself one, unlike the left that should admit that they're not reporters either. But I've been, you know, interviewing law enforcement people and people in Intel and where I could record them, I want to just get their information. Or like with Jason, when I had him on my podcast, I paid for a transcribing service to transcribe it because I wanted to like he said so much good stuff. I wanted to put together an article, which I did today, just to get that on paper. And you know, it is so hard to get everything accurate, even if you're just getting three sentence, a three sentence quote, a very carefully crafted three sentence. Okay, uh, Congressman so so, can you give me a quote on the record? And then you start writing with your pen. That's very hard. I would never trust myself without recording that. But a fifty, do you know what a fifty-six minute transcript is? I just transcribed. It's pages. How the hell could you splice up three sentences? And we're supposed to believe that? All these conservatives, if this would be a Kavanaugh type of guy, a golden boy of the thumbsuckers, they would be saying what I'm saying. They would dissect every point of this. Here, they don't want to hear it. Kevin McCarthy didn't want to hear. Didn't want to hear a defense of it. And I understand if you're like, dude, you're, you're embarrassing me. You're, you're just being a buffoon. Get out of my face. I, you're not helpful. I understand that. I sympathize with that feeling. I myself who really want to fight back in a proper way rigorously against the policies that the left evilly ensnares in racial politics, I certainly have a vested interest in not having someone who is very unhelpful to your messaging on the issue. But you can't condemn an innocent man. 
And when I, when I, the reason why I'm using criminal terms is because our civilization views racism as above the worst capital offense. So, I mean, you got to... You, you, if you're going to censure the guy, you got to have the quote. He says this is what he said. Let, let, let's hear it. Let's hear the all 56 minutes of it. Either the New York Times is lying, and they do have an audio, or it's a self-indictment. If they're telling the truth, I, I, I don't understand how you could have a 56-minute interview with a sitting congressman. It's not just like some uh, prof- university expert weighing in on an issue and you want to get a quote from them on a political news story. It's a sitting congressman with his reputation online. You have to quote him accurately. I don't understand unless you have some sort of memory that's just out of this world, but you can't, I mean, that would only be for a short conversation. There's no way. And even if you're, you're taking notes, you got to have the audio of that. I'm saying that in itself, Put it, forget about Steve King. That should bother everyone. My fear is, and I said this with the Roy Moore stuff. I was like, look, the guy became ineffective. I can't defend him better than himself. And, you know, it's kind of creepy to be dating younger people like that. I can't really defend that. But did he do what they're accusing him? You know, I don't know. Things really came out afterwards. And my fear is that people that the political class, including the conservative thumbsuckers, believe are less than human beings. They hate them guts. They believe their guts. They believe they're subhuman. Rules of due process of just basic information don't apply. If you're Kavanaugh, that's fine. That's my fear. There's nothing to do with the person. If they come for you, they're going to come for other people. It's a very big problem. So two things are true at the same time in summary. That yeah, he's rendered himself ineffective and buffoonish. If you're going to override your staff and do stupid things like that and mouth off for an hour to a New York Times reporter and then not even record it yourself. That's stupid. But for the New York Times to not record it, that's almost criminal. That violates all journalistic ethics. But they know nobody's going to call them out on it because Steve King is the perfect villain because nobody will defend him. And it's not my goal to even defend him. I'm not defending him. Part of, the, part of the problem we have now is, like I said, too many people don't have their own vision down properly. So Steve King now talks about, what do you want from me? I'm, I'm a nationalist. And the problem is nobody, because conservatism has been so bastardized and it has been so ineffective in combating this type of agenda from the left. People are looking for an out. So they're, they're looking for something new. You know, I hate where you're doing so much. I'm a, I'm a nationalist. And obviously people like us, we understand the truth. So we're, we're okay with being traditional conservatives because we understand what that means. It's stupid. It's annoying. It doesn't make someone a, someone a criminal or a white supremacist for that matter. It's a problem of this ping pong effect. The more this phony conservative media fails and is complicit in the left's racial agenda and all the policies they promulgate successfully in law and politics as a result of it, 
the more you're going to see a very unhelpful and then at, at a fringe end, a truly hateful, problematic response to it. I've been saying this all along with Trump. If you hate bungling fools inartfully dealing with our issues, then you, buddy, have an obligation to deal with our issues in an artful way. But deal with it, you must. But they don't. So you know what? You can't complain. I could complain. I've been trying to deal with it, so it's annoying when people mess up our messaging. But they have no right to complain. You know, as they're as we're talking now, you have this uh, Judiciary Committee hearing going on right now, confirmation hearing for William Barr to be Attorney General, and I'm watching Mazi Hirono, the senator from Hawaii, question it, question Barr, and she is literally, she is such a nasty, terrible person. You look at comments about her on. I mean, you want to talk about racial purity, what they, what people like her support in Hawaii about codifying into law, literally unequal treatment if you don't have a pure Hawaiian blood. I mean, I'm just saying like, these people are doing it in policy and law, or at least meeting with people that are downright supporting genocide. Like Hamas and Hezbollah and Farrakhan. I don't know if Farrakhan, I don't know how much material support, but, but at least rhetorically, he's like that. And certainly Hamas and Hezbollah are actually doing it. I'm sorry. I'm not going to get excited. See, these people are like, I understand, but we can't have whataboutism. We have to police our own side. I love like the hall monitors. You know, we have these self-designated hall monitors. And it's true to an extent. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm against whataboutism. It depends what it is. I mean, if it's the point where the other side has a hundred examples of ten times more severe stuff, and there's one thing that's like whatever, much less, I'm not going to sit and distract and rip my hair out for three days to burn the guy to the ground while they're doing all this. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. They won't give an inch on it. They, we won't score any points. They won't call us a racist less often. You're going to get nothing from it. Well, we should do it anyway. It's the right thing to do. Really? Then, then you would be much more visceral on this other stuff. But you're not. Because you are not, these people virtue signaling, and that's what virtue signaling is, they are not coming from the depths of their soul. It's either trying to protect their own image, or it's because the media dictates the morality. This is why they will only comment on what the media puts out in front of them, but will never look at anything else. And why I have no respect for these people. And to the extent they're bothered by Steve King, and there's a lot in my view to be bothered by, guess what? Look in the mirror, because it's your fault. It's your fault. This stuff needs to be dealt with. And if you don't deal with it properly, you're going to get the chemotherapy. You're going to get the chemotherapy of Trump. You're going to get the chemotherapy of Steve King. Why don't you show us the way, smarty pants? But they don't, because they don't have a vision. They just react, react, react. Sick of, sick of reacting, but that's what's going to happen. Let me give you another example. It's it's not racial identity um, what I'm talking about. You know, what I'm talking about with the racial identity, before I get to this, so basically, obviously, it's the concern by some, and I understand it, that there's this growing, you know, we always like to be um, 
perfect victims. Like, I don't want any of this on our side and, and just have the left have this. Well, uh, that sounds lovely, but I mean, the left's not, not going to give you more points for that. But they're, they're concerned about, you know, a growing alt-right or something that, you know, people doing racism the other way. And again, part of the problem is that these thumb-sucking phony conservatives have tolerated for decades this racial identity politics. So sadly, eventually you're going to have people saying, well, if, you, if you've taught me for so long that it's so important to be proud of being black and proud of being this, well, why can't I be proud of being of my white identity? White identity awareness, whatever garbage these people talk about. Obviously, you know, those of us here that have a vision and godly biblical values, we understand the stupidity of that stuff. But at the same time, I understand cause and effect. I've warned people for years, if you don't deal with this properly, eventually you are going to have a rubber band effect. That's what we have in Europe. The majority is into multicultural insanity. And then you have this minority pullback of some elements on this right in, in, in Europe that's not really right, kind of like neo-Nazis. And that you're just going to breed that. You know, some of these people are like, why can't, why does it have to be about any racial identity? I agree. But some of those who are espousing this are the ones that fail to confront it and often are complicit in it. Where are they condemning Tim Scott? Tim Scott is one of those, like, he, he like, he's, he's just thrown up all over himself, tripping over himself to get to a microphone to condemn Steve King obsessively. Well, we had two terrific judicial picks. And one of them had writings on race that wasn't saying, oh, we need to be, you know, white identity. Or he, he said what we all say we believe very cogently. Like, why do we have all these racial identity groups? It would be as if we would have, you know, white identity groups. It's all nonsense. We shouldn't have any of this. That's all he said. And Tim Scott, like, like a hyena, went after him. Well, buddy, if Steve King is a white supremacist, then Tim Scott is a black supremacist, okay? Go eat it. That's the issue here. I didn't even get to the courts. I wanted to get to them today. My throat is killing. But it's kind of the same thing. We, we, we fail to fight back against it because we're scared of the identity politics. But we spent a lot of time on this because a lot of things are true at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. We need to focus on all of them. But I just want to make it very clear that you have to have some sort of sense of proportion. Okay? You have to have some sense of proportion. Not everyone that you believe is ineffective to your movement. Do you have to treat them like Hitler just to score points with um with uh you know your 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 favored people? Oh, I'm a good conservative. Don't worry. Have me on your shows. I'm just saying. It's not what about is when you have so much of this right now going on, on the left, dude, until the other sh side shows a modicum of concern, the way our side shows concern for Steve King, I'm sorry. I mean, it's it just, 
it's the same thing I'll never forget when you know you'd have hundreds of Palestinian terrorists killing Israelis and once in a while finally you'd have one Jewish guy respond and go out and do something to the Arabs and they, the media would go nuts with it well Daniel aren't going to condemn huh huh Daniel what do you think I'm like yeah of course I don't believe in just randomly and discriminately shooting innocent people but like you're missing the point here that is not the predominant problem here and it's the same thing here. For every one white that discriminates against a black, there's so many more whites that will go out of their way to mollycoddle blacks because they feel bad for them. And for every one of those, there's uh, 50 more blacks that are racist against whites. And to not call them out, to me... That is like what my eight-year-old complains about with our four-year-old that we don't punish him for certain things. Oh, come on. Like they're black. They were civil rights leaders. I I can't call out um, you know, gosh, what's that guy from Georgia? I'm I'm forgetting um forgetting his name, but he said that Jewish settlers in Israel are termites. Why didn't Republicans when they had control, strip him of his committee chairmanship. Uh, not, not, I don't know, chairman, but of, of his committee assignments. Why not? Hank Johnson. Right? That's who we're talking about. Hank Johnson. Why didn't, why was there no effort to go after Hank Johnson? He said it. Steve King never said blacks are termites or a group of black people are termites or any of that. They are claiming, he said, what's, you know, since when did it become offensive terms like yada yada, including white supremacism? And he's saying he didn't say that. He said, what was since when are Western civilization values um, um, uh, offensive? that they call us white supremacists for talking about it. And we're condemning him without hearing the audio. To me, that is the biggest racism of, of all. When we clamor, when we pant like a bunch of dogs, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, okay, here's the deal. We cannot look like we are being mean to blacks. Well, here's what we gotta do. Everyone's gotta go out right now and put out an Al-Qaeda hostage-style tape and condemn this and say, we love blacks and we're going to do everything. Like, dude, that is racist as hell in my view. Tell me why you disagree with that. To me, at my age, I've grown up watching everyone being treated equal. It's long after that era. I can understand 70s, maybe 80s. You want to be a little extra careful given the history. I, I, I could appreciate that. But you got to reach a time where you stop this because to continue it more and more, more and more is um, to continue it like this is going to be counterproductive. When you take a whole group of people, I mean, this is this is what white liberals do. They're like Yes, I know you guys. You guys are so downtrodden. We need to be extra protective of you. 
I, I can't relate to that mindset. I mean, you literally have these people on the left testifying under sworn testimony, under oath, in cases dealing with photo ID laws in court, saying that blacks are incapable of getting photo IDs and they're going to make more mistakes at the ballot if you don't have certain voting anomalies because they're too dumb. They don't use the word dumb, but they, this is what they say. They say it under oath. I don't understand that. What the political class in totality is doing is saying that blacks are less intelligent, less capable, more vulnerable than whites. I reject that for eternity. That is not true. To me, that is the ultimate form of racism. David Duke would say, I haven't seen quotes from him, but I'm assuming he would say things like, blacks are dumber, they're incapable, they're less human, they're this and that, so therefore we need to do, treat them badly. To me, if you're saying on the other end, blacks are less capable, more vulnerable, less intelligent, more prone to errors, and therefore they need more protection, to me that is just as bad. That's coming from just as bad of a place. And then it's bad for the rest of the country. We all matter. We all matter. But you want to talk about, you know, I understand when you're driving down a highway and you fall asleep at the wheel, you got to jerk the wheel in the opposite direction of where you are. And you have to understand that. And I understand if you're at a time where the predominant racial problem is white supremacism, you know, maybe you got to be a little careful. And that would apply, you know, years ago. But the reality is in this day and age, in our law, in our body politic, it has swung the other way, and everyone knows that. There's a much bigger problem on that side. You know, I, I have no need to engage. I hate, like I said, I hate identity politics, trying to make it, oh, this is more of an issue. You know, I, I was interviewed a few times um, after the Pittsburgh shooting, and, and they're like, hey, Daniel, you know, someone was Jewish. You know, are you concerned that there's growing anti-Semitism in the country? And I said, you know what? I said, I really disagree with that premise. I think the country is good on that. Most people, irrespective of their political ideology, are not like that. I don't see any signs of it growing, really. Unfortunately, it takes just one guy to wreak so much havoc and kill so many people. Um, but in response to that, there was so much outpouring of love from all sorts of people. I, I don't see that as a problem at all. That was my response. And I, I'll tell you, you know, I mean, that, that has been my experience in my life. But I will tell you where I live in central Maryland, I've almost never heard of an incident of anti-Semitism at the hand of whites. Almost always, it's, it's a group of blacks. Now, to be clear, overwhelmingly, they're not like that. Overwhelming majority. And in fact, you know, especially the religious ones, um, a lot of fond memories, you know, I'll be, uh, you know, walk into synagogue and, uh, you know, uh, past someone who happens to be black will be walking, you know, in his suit to, to church, particularly the religious ones. They're very philo-Semitic, actually. Um, really good. But, you know, there is an element, everyone knows, this kind of Farrakhan element that is a problem. And I don't know if it's growing or not. You know, that's hard to quantify. But it is mollycoddled by the media. And that's a problem. That is a much bigger problem. 
And we don't want to do anything about that. So, um, gosh, we, we, we went way long here. I really wanted to get to the insanity of the courts. Mandating that Trump must continue Obama's policy violating Hobby Lobby to force individual employers to violate their conscience and private property. A judge just today says Trump, forget about counting illegals in the census. He wasn't even going to discount them. Just merely to ask a citizenship question, you're not allowed to. And yet this conservative media has nothing to say about that other than let's wait to see what happens with the appeal. And that's going to go to the Second Circuit, which which is horrible. So we're going to have to wait all the way to the Supreme Court. They might not take it up. So there we go. There we go. Just remember, Bobby Rush, one of the lead sponsors of one of the Centermans. I don't think that that's what they're going to vote on today. I have to see exactly what they're doing. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. This man went to a Nation of Islam event with Farrakhan. Okay? Did Steve King go to a David Duke event? And by the way, speaking of David Duke, didn't Steve Scalise attend an event of this group that was founded by David Duke? Now, look, I understand. You have to understand the politics of the South and different groups, and it's hard to know. You didn't know. I, I, I'm not saying I agree with that. But I'm just saying every conservative defended him left and right because he is the right type of person. And I'm just saying what scares me when it comes to scandals and allegations, whether they're racism, whether it's criminal, I don't like the fact that because I don't like the guy's politics, Facts don't matter, and I I have no desire to find out the facts. That was what we all didn't like about Kavanaugh, but again, Kavanaugh was a golden boy. I hope you've gained from this. Let me know if you agree or disagree with this. I really don't plan to talk about this more because there's too many important things going on, but I think the broader message of this this is not about whether you love or hate Steve King. I happen to think just, you know, he's long past his his degree of utility if he's going to be doing this. But at the same time, if we're going to treat him this way, we got to really understand what the consequences of that are. A lot of things are true at the same time. Thank you for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conscience.